For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. This week, we celebrated Memorial Day. I, being a history nerd, a bit of a Civil War nerd, and a guy who likes to eat stuff off the ground, found this fascinating. 620,000 soldiers died during the Civil War. For every three soldiers killed in battle, five more died from disease. Due to blockades of southern ports, which limited supplies of literally anything not manufactured in the southern states, southerners had to get inventive and find alternatives for a lot of things, like medicine. Recently, a team of researchers tested the antiseptic properties of some of the plants used on the battlefield. White oak, tulip poplar, two trees, and the devil's walking stick, a shrub. Extracts were taken from each and used on three species of bacteria common to wound infections. Staphylococcus aureus, Acineto bacter bamani, and Klebsiella pneumoniae. Can you believe I write this stuff for myself? I, I can't make it harder. Anyway, all of the plants tested, white oak, tulip poplar, and the devil's walking stick, were shown to inhibit the growth of all three bacteria. While the plants didn't kill the bacteria, they did make them more susceptible to antibiotics. Researchers found that the use of these plants as a topical treatment likely saved some lives then and could potentially help do so now. Just another reason to keep our woods and waters healthy. Moving on. Starting out with a real interesting quick hitter. The Boone and Crockett Club just recognized a ram taken from Hell's Canyon three years ago as the biggest ever killed in Idaho. But the state of Idaho is refusing to recognize it as an official state record. 
This shouldn't be too surprising because there always seems to be some tension around records. Where the issue du jour comes from is the fact that the hunter is a member of the Nez Perce tribe and was hunting on a treaty right, not with an IDFG-issued lottery tag. The hunter, who killed the ram in question, has been hunting bighorns in Hell's Canyon since the mid-70s and has killed 10 rams. Nine of those ranked as trophies by Boone and Crockett standards. This last one landing at number 26 all time. The Boone and Crockett Club has no problem entering this ram into the record book. It will be interesting to see if Idaho Fish and Game changes their tune. I personally wouldn't mind if they did. Records are made to be broken. Coming up, we've got tasty songbirds, pigs invading from the north, some monkey business, bad news black bears, and sharks. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. I took advantage of the long weekend to drive seven hours without leaving the state of Montana, met up with some friends to attempt a freshwater spearfishing expedition to Fort Peck Reservoir. If you've never heard of Fort Peck, that's fine, but you should know it's the fifth largest man-made lake in the U.S. and sports more coastline than the state of California. Wow. On top of that, Fort Peck held the title as the world's largest earthen dam until the late 70s. If that's not ringing a bell you may want to reference Granddad's old pile of life magazines. The damn spillway made the cover back in 1939. The amount of effort that went into this structure in a place that many would call the middle of nowhere is just amazing. However, you may never go to Fort Peck, as I didn't catch or spear a fish. 50-degree water full of sediment didn't produce much opportunity. And, as my buddy Matt Ranella will tell you, the fishing is always slow. And... If you were to ask him about the just general recreational boating opportunity on Fort Peck, he may respond with, the pecker can get a bit choppy. That's a reference to eastern Montana wind and Fort Peck wave action, of course. Keep in mind, despite the rough roads, serious lack of infrastructure, I think it's a beautiful spot. And you probably want to take information from a large man with a small corgi under his arm with a grain of salt anyway. Moving on. Folks in Vermont are enamored with a donut-loving bear. I was naive enough to hope that the bear in question had taken advantage of a dumpster behind a semi-rural donut shop. That, sadly, being my best-case scenario. This female black bear, Ursus Americanus, is on the slow train to euthanasia conducted by us, people. The joke may lay in the Latin name. Contains both America and anus, kind of. Almost as if our coddling of wildlife is making an ass out of our critters. I'll admit I've got a soft spot for the American black bear. I've found the black bear is an often underrated but amazing critter to watch. Fortunately or not, they can make a good living in what we call the urban interface. The area where trees, grass, and solitude collide with pavement and parked cars. This is where the black bear finds trouble in the form of garbage cans, bird feeders, and, as in Vermont, intentional and deliberate feeding. This type of human behavior frequently leads to dead bears. As bears make the connection between people and easy meals, our tolerance for these urban encounters go down. One broken bird feeder was a neat way to observe a bear, but not two broken bird feeders. Or, as sometimes happens, a black bear in your garage going through your stuff. Or, maybe in your actual home. 
According to a 2015 study released by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the American black bear is the most abundant bear species on the planet. Populations are currently at their highest level in the past 100 years, with the North American population estimated at about 700,000 to 800,000. As humans expand into bear habitat, more conflicts arise. A huge factor in what becomes a problem bear is human indifference and then human perception. Simply put, if a bear keeps knocking over a bird feeder or trash can, the feeder or trash can needs to be removed, not refilled. If seeing a bear in the backyard or on your street is reported as threatening, not just a bear on the move, that bear could be lethally removed or killed, as us heathens call it. In Colorado, a woman was bitten by a black bear while hiking near Aspen. The details aren't real deep on this one yet. But from the sounds of it, the hiker and her husband were being respectful of the bear by moving off the trail as the bear came through. As the bear passed, it came in and bit the woman on the thigh, then apparently went about its day. The bear is reported to be 200 to 300 pounds, and the hiker is unharmed. Before I go on, I do want to point out this is the same state that the trail runner Mount Lion attack came out of. We talked about that in episode one of the Week in Review. That cat was initially reported by news outlets as a 100-plus pound mountain lion. Later, it turned into a 24-pound mountain lion kitten. I make this point because there is no need for exaggeration when it comes to animal attacks, as wild animals can do serious damage at any size, even as juveniles. A 200- to 300-pound black bear, like we have in this case, is not a juvenile animal and makes for a very serious encounter. Colorado Parks and Wildlife have called in U.S. Wildlife Services to help trap and kill the bear, as the bear has demonstrated aggressive behavior. I don't want to seem like I'm overly protective, as I love to eat these bears, and I wouldn't mind a nice black bear rug to throw over the back of the couch even, but I obviously have some questions here. Like, how? How is this lady unharmed? If that part's true, I've had much smaller yellow labs than this bear with much harder mouths. If our hiker, who again appears to have tried to keep a respectful distance, didn't get harmed, it seems as if this bear demonstrated incredible restraint. And don't you hike in the woods for a bit of that who-knows-what-the-heck-could-happen type of feeling? For comparison, in Yellowstone National Park, our last grizzly bear caused hiker death was August of 2015. In this incident, it was determined that the bear attacked the couple hiking because they were too close to her and her cubs. The husband took the attack while the wife went unharmed. Yellowstone National Park officials decided that, in this case, the humans were at fault, the sow and cubs reacted in a natural way, and were left to continue being grizzlies. In one case, you have a bear that kills a man, another a bear that bites a woman in a way that leaves her unharmed. In the case of the human death, the bear and her young are allowed to go about their lives. The case of the bite and run, trained professionals are attempting to trap and kill the bear. There are some differences, national park versus national forest, maybe proximity to town. The similarities, however, are humans bumping into bears just being bears. Moving on. 
scientists from Germany recently discovered a particular band of chimpanzees in Gabon. They have adapted a unique eating habit, smashing tortoises against trees and scooping out the meat. These findings may promote new fields of study regarding distinctive subcultures of primates, their use of tools and ability to pass those skills down to future generations. But it's also just straight-up fascinating, and probably a bit more gruesome than many great ape lovers can handle. One of the authors of this study, Tobias Deschner, had this to say, They see this as a hard-shell object with some interesting thing inside and need to crack it open. In other monkey news, researchers in Senegal experimented with flying drones over troops of green monkeys. The monkeys responded with a vocalization similar to the vocalization used by vervet monkeys to warn each other about approaching eagles. Vervet monkeys actually have a, quote, word for snakes, leopards, and eagles, and respond accordingly to the words by taking appropriate evasive action. Thing is, green monkeys weren't known to have a vocalization for eagles, as eagles don't prey on them. But the drone triggered the vocalization from the monkeys, leaving researchers to question whether language is genetically hardwired for them, a vestigial trait, so to speak. When they played the new vocalization back to other troops of green monkeys, they scanned the skies and ran for cover. Pretty cool. My friend Steve ate some monkey meat once from a red howler in South America. Still feels guilty about it. So far on the weekend review, we've covered both tigers and birds extensively. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle 
Heart and soils. Unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Oddly enough, those two species intersect at sharks. Tiger sharks, to be exact. In one of my all-time favorite movies, Jaws, the slightly nerdy shark guy Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfus, refers to the tiger shark as the garbage can of the ocean. And it's kind of true. Tiger sharks are known to eat all sorts of stuff. Tires, a chicken coop complete with chickens, oranges, fish, sharks turtles, plastic, sea snakes, and, if you remember that scene from Jaws, the occasional license plate. A tiger shark is hoisted on the dock for all the tourists to see, confirmation that the man-eater has been killed, when Hooper, again played by Richard Dreyfus, convinces Sheriff Brody to perform a late-night examination of stomach contents. They find a couple of fish heads, a tin can, and a license plate from Louisiana. Enough about Jaws, although I could go on and on. So where the hell did the birds come in? Mississippi State University's Coastal Research and Extension Center report just published an analysis of 105 tiger sharks' stomach contents. Now, with all the odd items we just listed from Jaws as a sort of fictional, though reasonable-seeming benchmark, I still find this next bit surprising. 39% of the 105 sharks yielded 10 land-based bird species. Again, land-based, not marine birds. House wrens, marsh wrens, barn swallows, eastern meadowlarks, eastern kingbirds, or Tyrannus tyrannus. Just a fun Latin name for you. Birds are living dinosaur theorists. Swamp sparrows, common yellowthroat, yellow-bellied sapsuckers, white-winged doves, and brown thrashers. Birds you would see at the feeder in the backyard keeping a watch out for house cats, not tiger sharks. The standing theory for how these tiger sharks are adding land-based birds to their diet is, as these bird species migrate across the gulf, migration being a strenuous activity for birds, with many in weakened conditions, any number of weather occurrences can bring these land birds down into the gulf. If this sounds too random, first consider that an estimated 2 billion birds cross the gulf every year, and that according to bird-watching surveys conducted by Cornell University, peaks in bird sightings of the species eaten match perfectly with when the samples were taken, August through November, a prime time for migrating songbirds, and maybe not so coincidentally, a time when there are three times more juvenile tiger sharks in the northern gulf. Something to consider. Many of the sharks with birds in their stomachs were juvenile sharks, which dovetails nicely with the question, why do mother tiger sharks give birth to their young in the open gulf instead of in protected bays? Is it possible that a land-living bird migration has determined where sharks swim? Keep in mind, the biggest tiger sharks are female. Some have been recorded over 16 feet and close to 2,000 pounds. Your average barn swallow? 0.6 ounces. While we don't know if mama tiger sharks are choosing to give birth to their live young in the open ocean, trusting that they'll be well-fed by 
barn swallows or wrens falling in big numbers from the sky, we do know that tiger sharks aren't the only ones enjoying songbirds. Take a look at what's happening across the Atlantic Ocean. The Ortolan is a member of the bunting family. Average weight, 0.7 ounces. A little songbird. They have long been prized, not for their song, but for their taste. And not by tiger sharks, but by affluent diners. Traditionally, the Ortolan, once captured, is force-fed grain until fattened, well beyond its normal size, then drowned in brandy, simultaneously dispatched and marinated. Then the Ortolan is cooked and served whole. Diners who ate this tiny bird traditionally placed a napkin over their heads while eating. The purpose of the napkin is supposedly to prevent the aroma of the bird from escaping or to hide one's face from God during this shameful act. If you don't care for the state of the bunting or how you may eventually meet your maker, the napkin would be used to hide oneself from other diners as you spit out a bone or two. Beak, bones, intestines, and feet all in one bite. One infamous diner, Anthony Bourdain, said this of the Ortolan experience. With every bite, as the thin bones and layers of fat, meat, skin, and organs compact in on themselves... There are sublime dribbles of varied and wondrous ancient flavors. Figs, armagnac, dark flesh, slightly infused with the salty taste of my own blood as my mouth is pricked by the sharp bones. Doesn't that sound like an experience, napkin on head or not? Here's the issue with this shameful act. Due to habitat loss, changing agricultural practices, climate change, and the appetite of these gastro-elites, Europe's Ortolan population has declined by 88% between 1980 and 2016. During the migration of the Ortolan bunting, as they make their way from the Baltic states, Finland, and Scandinavia to North Africa, an estimated 300,000 of the birds pass through southwestern France. There, poachers catch around one-tenth of the migration, 30,000 birds. These black market poachers use a combination of live bait birds in cages and mist nets. The live birds distract and lure the wild birds into the nets. Mist nets are typically light nylon or polyester webbing strung across a gap in the brush slightly loose. The nets are hard to see. The birds will run into the loose netting where they will get tangled in the mesh or drop into the kind of buckets the material creates. The birds are unable to escape but alive and for the most part unharmed. Biologists and ornithologists use these nets in studies all the time. Across most of the EU, this trapping of Ortolan buntings has been illegal since 1979. France was reluctant to get on board with the ban. They didn't adopt it until 1997 and then only loosely enforced it until 2007. The lackadaisical approach to enforcement could be a testament to the fact that the birds are so damn tasty. No one really cares if hunting hurts the bird population as a whole or not. In wildlife markets, a single Ortolan can bring in 100 euros, about 111 US dollars. They often weigh less than an ounce. As the bird numbers continue to decline, these market prices will start to climb. The Ortolan bunting of France may rest its fate on the belly of, well, the French. But this songbird fetish isn't just French. According to BirdLife International, more than 5 million birds are poached in Italy every year, putting the French to shame. I really risk being an elitist here, but a lot of what is driving this is the established legal sale of wildlife. For instance, in Malta, you can catch and sell golden plovers and song thrushes, but you can't trap or sell finches. Some of these birds are going straight into the family pot, but millions are being sold both legally and illegally. 
Anyone who's familiar with the story of wildlife conservation in America can tell you that hunting can both hurt and help wildlife populations. Just ask the white-tailed deer, which was nearly exterminated by hunters and then rebuilt to populations that far exceed any point in the continent's history. Wild pigs have an interesting story as well, though not as easy to conceptualize. First off, all pigs, from the one in your Illinois barn to the razorback running wild in South Texas to a genuine Siberian hog in Siberia, are all Sus-Scrafa. It's just one species. They're native to Europe, Asia, the Middle East, the Greek Isles, and introduced by humans virtually everywhere else. Australia, Hawaii, Patagonia, Mexico, the southern U.S., California, and on again, off again, all over the rest of the U.S., except the last bastion of pig-free land, the Northern Rockies. But now they're coming. That's right. Canadian bacon may soon be readily available in Montana. And the best part? The bacon may import itself. That's a terrible joke that I'll stop right now. I know my Canuck friends will hate me for it. Something to do with the fact that Canadian bacon isn't a Canadian term. Apparently there was a pork shortage in the UK in the mid-1800s, and they use a lot of Canadian pork. Just a fun fact for you. While I'm at it, here's a few more. A group of pigs is called a sounder. The term for when a pig buries itself in the snow? A pigloo. I, uh, I just can't help myself. Back to pigs. Wild swine. Hogs, that is. Wild pig populations have been growing steadily in Saskatchewan for almost 30 years. I'm a huge fan of hunting in Canada. Years ago, I heard the rumors firsthand. Only, as it turns out, these pigtails weren't rumors at all. European wild boar brought in for food or for game farms have slowly built populations away from people. Getting away from people in Saskatchewan is not hard to do, which is why Saskatchewan and much of Canada is so darn great. Great for hunting, fishing, Tim Hortons, ketchup-flavored chips, real fruit bars, moosehead lager, and growing pigs, apparently. Looking south, though... Wild pigs already cause extreme amounts of damage basically everywhere else in the U.S. Estimated damage at over a billion and a half dollars a year. Still, some in Montana may be thinking that a wild pig population in the state could save them a trip to Texas or California for that uh, hog in the freezer. Well, the state is way ahead of you on this one. If you were to look in the Montana state hunting regulations right now, you would find pig hunting is illegal. At first impression, this may sound like a pig protection measure. Well, it's not. Hunters are bad at eradicating pigs. Furthermore, it's been proven that hunters are good at spreading pigs. That's right. More and more, it's been found that hunters love to talk about killing off pigs and the devastation that they bring to the agricultural community. But boy, you know, they're kind of tasty. And, uh... By the way, those pigs are really fun to hunt. That's why pig hunting is illegal in Montana and why this is not a new tactic to stop the spread of pigs in the U.S. In fact, Montana is joining the states of Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, New York, North Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and Nevada in making the hunting of this costly invasive species illegal. If this still doesn't sound right to you, Maybe these states learned a lesson from our friends over in Europe and their bird dilemma. Folks tend to follow the rules a little better, whistle a different tune, if you will, when they can't make a profit off a critter. Thanks a bunch. This has been Cal's Week in Review. Let me know how I'm doing and what I've missed and messed up at askcal at themeateater.com. 
That's A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. If you loved what you heard, go to wherever podcasts are downloaded, streamed, or listened to. Subscribe and leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. Thanks again and see you next week. I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.